0: Hello everyone, welcome to the Engineering Student Experience podcast. My name is Paul Nissenson and I'm a faculty member in the Mechanical Engineering Department at Cal Poly Pomona. Today's episode is all about civil engineering, which is a branch of engineering concerned with designing, constructing, and maintaining items like roads, bridges, pipelines, and many other elements of our infrastructure. Recently I sat down with Dr. Kenneth Lamb and Dr. Felipe Perez from the Civil Engineering Department at my university. We discussed what civil engineering is all about, including the subdisciplines within civil engineering, the career paths available to civil engineers, and various tips for civil engineering students. I hope you enjoy the conversation. Well, I'm here with Dr. Kenneth Lamb and Dr. Felipe Perez, both faculty of civil engineering here at Cal Poly Pomona, where, where I call home. And uh, we're going to be talking about civil engineering today. And um, thank you both. Both, first of all, for being here today, giving up a little bit of your day to, to help let people know about your discipline. It's my pleasure. Yes. So maybe we can start with a little bit of background about you both. So you know, where did you go to school? What kind of maybe industry experience do you have? You know, how many years have you been teaching? Whatever you feel like sharing.
1: Right. So this is Felipe. Uh, I attended Cal State Northridge, I received my Bachelor's of Civil Engineering from there. And uh, right after school, I went to Pennsylvania, uh, where I studied uh, advanced topics in structural engineering. And so I received my Master's and PhD from Lehigh University. And once I graduated, I came back to California, and I worked in industry for a number of years prior to uh, coming here to Cal Poly. Uh, While in industry, I worked on uh, the design and seismic retrofit of existing buildings, uh, both commercial and residential buildings, and today, uh, to date, I have taught here at Cal Poly Pomona for nine and a half years
2: I, uh, I started my this is Kenneth by the way. I started my undergraduate at Utah State University with dreams of being an aerospace engineer actually um, because Logan, Utah was exotic to somebody who grew up in las vegas that 's the truth of it, so I had to go away from home, and then after a couple quarters at uh, Utah State University, I took a couple years off from college and uh, got my wanderlust out of me and returned to UNLV where I was from and uh, finished my bachelor's there. Um, I worked at a consulting firm all during my undergraduate in, uh, in flood control, uh, in the flood control division, and then when I finally graduated, uh, a position opened up in the water wastewater group. Which is more about pipelines and pumps and stuff, and uh, and so I moved over to that division. So um, then after a couple of years, I was getting bored working, and I thought, you know, I should probably get a master's degree. So I got a master's degree from Norwich University, um, and then at, as I was finishing my master's degree, the opportunity to get a Ph.D. came up, and so I took it. And uh, you know, been at Cal Poly since 2011, um, uh, and that was. Basically, you know, I, yeah, I'd worked up until I left to go get my PhD in 2007, so, and then got the PhD and then moved down here in 2011. So that's kind of the gist, I guess, of the background, my background.
0: Yeah, so if you had to sort of encapsulate civil engineering, I mean, it's a big discipline, but if you had to encapsulate it in just a couple sentences,
2: how would you do it? My, my snarky response <laughs> is that civil engineers make civilization. So anything that we think of as a comfort to civilization, civil engineers had to do. Right. So roads, you know, roads, drinking water, infrastructure yeah. that's,
1: that can include, for example, roads, highways, <laughs> water distribution systems, right? And also building structures.
2: Yes. Yeah. You know, of course, I'm joking. But I mean, I'm not really don't think I'm that self-important. I, I want that to be clear. <laughs> but, you know, that's that stuff that uh, the public touches that that, that, that that is for public use. Most right. of that has to be approved and certified by a civil engineer as safe for public use. So you know, just like Felipe said, mm. the roads, the, the waters, the bridges, the structures, etc. OK.
0: So how would you differentiate, say, civil engineering from other Uh, engineering disciplines that kind of have to, where the students have to take a few of the similar courses, like, for example, mechanical. So in in your mind, how do you differentiate between civil engineering and mechanical engineering?
1: Right. So I think that it really comes down to the types of projects uh, that uh, the engineers would work on. Uh, For example, uh, a civil engineer uh, would be responsible for the design of roadways, traffic signals, Uh, bridges, et cetera, whereas the mechanical engineer, for example, in in the automotive industry, would be uh, responsible for the optimization or increasing the efficiency, uh, fuel efficiency, for example, of a vehicle. So the mechanical engineer in that context uh, works on improving the quality of the the vehicle and the driver's experience, whereas the civil engineer provides the roads and the highways and the transportation system for that. Uh, Another uh, case would be, for example, for building structures. Uh, a civil engineer in, for example, my area and structures would be responsible for the design of the uh, structural system, such as the beams, the girders, the columns, the lateral system that, that resists earthquakes, wind loads, etc., <clears throat> whereas the mechanical engineer would be responsible for the design and layout of like uh, heating and ventilation systems to uh, address the comfort of the occupants.
2: Yeah, for, for me as a, as a water engineer, the similarities between, say, me and, and ME, and me and a mechanical and me and an electrical is that um, we all need to understand sort of hydraulics and how power powers our machines. And so um, there are a lot of people in my field who are, could be either mechanical or civil who work on pumps as the machine. And then the, the typical application for civils is to then know how to buy the right machine to install it into, into the infrastructure so it works correctly. Same thing with electricals. They, they should probably understand the hydraulics part of this equation so that they can understand how much power the machine needs in order to fit inside the infrastructure so that it all works optimally. You know, So, yeah, it, there's, and I guess I would usually tell my students that you can get a job doing mechanical-type design at a pump manufacturer if you wanted. And likewise, mechanical engineers who know and understand hydraulics can get a job doing water, sewer, stormwater systems if they wanted. It's, it's very close in that sense. So the difference is just the application, as, as Felipe was mentioning.
0: So a lot of overlap between these different fields. Mm-hmm. Potentially, oh, definitely. There's, there's
1: a lot of coordination also that has to yeah.
0: Mm-hmm. So what kind of, um, within civil engineering... Um, what kind of sub-disciplines uh, are there? Where, where, what directions can students go um, within civil engineering?
2: You know, within civil engineering, we have about eight areas. Um, construction engineering, structures, geotech, geotechnical engineering, I'll say, I don't use the abbreviated name, transportation engineering, environmental engineering, water resource engineering, and geospatial engineering. And the eighth one that we don't necessarily, we would cover, but it uh, doesn't, but as land development engineering um, right. comes out, that a lot of companies have land development divisions, but you can go to a civil engineering firm and they will have divisions within their company that hits each one of those eight divisions usually, depending on how broad they are. Mm. A lot of geotech firms really specialize in geotech, for instance. Right. The most general civil firms will have people who do each one of these things, um, yeah, maybe it'd be
0: a little helpful to, to delve in each, to, into each of these different fields to just give um, the the listener kind of a little flavor of of what kind of courses they might be taking if they go into that field and maybe what kind of jobs they would potentially get um, if they specialize in that field. So, yeah. um, you know, we could start with construction might be more of an obvious one, but uh, yeah. what, what kind of courses would you take in construction engineering? Cool. In construction,
2: students have to take... Uh, building system, so they have to understand everything that goes into a new building or everything that goes into uh, modeling a new construction site. Uh, They have to then schedule it out, you know, create the schedule, how it gets built, estimate the cost. Mm -hmm. Um, They do some analysis sometimes in construction. They do some structural analysis and, and, and hydraulic analysis for temporary structures. So if a construction site lasts three years for a little bit there it's gonna have to function like a regular little city and so then it has to be protected against things falling down or things getting flooded so some construction engineers actually do what i would say quote unquote is civil engineering so yeah so for construction those are kind of the typical classes they got to get into in a nutshell they're really Hmm. short yeah how
1: about geotechnical rather right so for geotechnical uh this the uh, student would have to take courses such as uh, the analysis of soil properties, right? They need to understand uh, the conditions at the site. Uh, and typically what happens is that a geotechnical engineer will provide uh, a structural engineer a soils report that identifies uh, the conditions at the site as well as provides recommendations for, for example, foundations. So. Uh, a, a geotechnical engineer would also have to have courses in foundation design uh, and, uh, and be familiar with uh, the uh, different types of soil conditions and uh, the corresponding uh, fa- different types of foundations that would be appropriate. Mm.
0: How about a transportation engineer, What would, what would he or she do?
2: So transportation engineers uh, design the roadways. So they would, they would call that the geometric design of roadways. So how, how much do they curve? How, how quickly you can curve? What is the you know, the radii of different roadways when they intersect? How the freeways function? So you make sure that you have the, yeah, the, the vertical curve set up so that you don't have crazy amounts of g-forces on the roads. There's, there's a comfort factor that you calculate right. in roadway design to make sure that when you're driving on the road, you don't go, oh, I get sick on that road. Um, then they also do planning where they look at, okay, how, much, how many lanes of roadways do we need in certain places um, to make sure that we get enough traffic in and out of big commercial centers. You know? um, and you can go buy any of these big commercial centers where there's like a mall and a movie theater and shopping. Well, those places are going to have five lanes in each direction to get the cars in and out. So a transportation engineer would determine how many lanes are needed how the stoplights are set up, how, how the, the traffic
1: gets routed. How the yes. traffic mm-hmm. gets routed, exactly. Right. And they have
2: fantastic computer models that are super visually appealing. <laughs> that's true. Where it shows like little tiny miniature cars driving in and out of stuff. It blows everybody away. It's right. really fun. Um, so yeah, that's usually the And they also deal with, and I, I'm talking about roadways, but airports, railway, bicycle lanes. I mean, transportation in general is handled by transportation engineers, and that's what they call like multi, multimodal analysis of... How do you get people from walking to bikes, to trains, et cetera, to, to airplanes? And they, they they look at that big on the, on the big picture, like on the national level. I mean, airports is a national infrastructure. Railways is a national infrastructure. And they look at it in local places like your neighborhood as well.
0: Hmm. Yeah, incredibly important uh, job here in Southern California with all yeah. our, with all our That's right. <laughs> millions of cars. Uh, yeah. Okay. Um, how about uh, water resources? What kind, of, what kind of jobs do they do? What
2: kind of courses do you need to take? Um, so it's really the, the, the most boring, probably. Yes. <laughs> because it's mine. Yeah. Um, everything I do gets hidden, which is always so sad. I can't mm. brag about anything I do. <laughs> but you know, if you turn on your faucet at home and water comes out, then a water resource engineer has done their job right. And if you always have water, then that's, then that's done well. So they, they worry about that. They make sure that the water's clean, as it comes from whatever river or lake to your house. They make sure that as you, as you discharge the waste from your house, we'll just put it in the nicest terms possible on this radio show, mm-hmm. uh, that that waste gets treated before it gets returned back to nature. Um, I, guess, I guess I'm guess i getting into environmental engineering there with that. Water resource engineers also okay. worry about whether or not your, your house gets flooded and and that goes for every property every time we touch the dirt we got to verify that that impact is not going to change the flooding characteristics of the site so that's another that's really the big water res- resource side and and i guess like i said, i finished the environmental conversation yeah. it's worrying about whether or not our presence is making any negative impacts on the environment and that goes with the water systems that exist out there natural or man made it goes with the air quality that we deal with so, uh, and, then, and the soils as well. Um, and that's where we kind of merge with the geotech people is geotech engineers and environmental engineers work together to make sure that any contaminants that are spread are cleaned in an effective way and, and focus on remediating environmental impacts from humans. And for the
1: most part, an environmental water resource engineer would work for an agency, correct?
2: Um, there are uh, lots of consultants who do that. Uh, But yeah, the federal government has a lot of environmental engineers on their side or local water utilities, of course, who sell water to people or who capture the waste and treat it. Those are usually government agencies. Sometimes they're private companies. Mm -hmm. Um, As a consultant, we did that kind of work as well. I did mostly just the water side, but then the environmental, a lot of times is a separate company uh, that specializes in that because there's a lot of specialty in there, a lot of Mm -hmm. A lot of advanced coursework that students end up taking um, to, to, to stay in the environmental world to, to understand all the technology that out there that does that. Hmm.
0: So what's the, uh, what's the difference between geospatial and geotechnical?
2: So geospatial is how do we observe and measure data on Earth? And geotechnical is really kind of the strengths and properties of the soils. Is, okay. is, the, is the mountain going to fall down? All right, the geotech can prove that. Once the mountain falls down, the geospatial can go in and measure it and say, okay, this is how much it was before, this is how much it is now. Geospatials use uh, satellites to do their work. They also do do land surveying, Mm -hmm. whatever it takes, you know, uh, 3D imaging. There's all sorts of fun tools out there for the geospatial, like UAVs and flying planes and imaging buildings and stuff, it's super cool. Yeah, it sounds like you regret going into water resources and (laughs) There's some there's some things yeah you know, like, I, I I don't like I don't want to sound self important but I am satisfied with the fact that drinking water is what everybody needs to live and that's what I do I just say it, <laughs> just saying but yeah there's a lot of cool stuff out well, thank there you. <laughs>
0: um, and the last one is uh, land development um,
2: land development
0: land development oh yeah we, we, oh and I forgot structural sorry that's that's Felipe's uh,
2: <laughs> world land development is kind of a small synthesis of most of these areas. So most of us live in neighborhoods where there are like multiple homes built on these side streets and stuff. And so it's the land development engineer who will go in and tell the builder where to build and how to build each one of those homes. And he'll do what's called a grading plan, which means how much do we need to cut out of the existing topography so that homes sit in in an organized manner so that sewage drains away and doesn't get backed up, and water systems come into the houses effectively, um, so land development engineer worries about the water, the sewer, the geotech aspects, the structural aspects in small ways, uh, the transportation aspects of getting in and out of these de- new developments as well, and so they kind of touch on all of these, uh, and so you know a lot of agent, a lot of companies have that's their bread and butter is, is land development that's what most people want to do is. You know, I'm a client. I've got a bunch of land. I want to chop it up and sell it into to homes or new Walmart or whatever. Well, they use the engineer, and it's usually the land development engineer that takes charge of that project.
0: Hmm. All right, Felipe, tell us all about structural. Well, uh, structural
1: engineering basically focuses on the design of the structural elements to uh, resist a building. and So basically an architect for example will work with a client a developer for instance and they might want to construct some kind of parking structure and so the uh, the architect would lay out the sort of the, the concept right in dialogue with the owner and those sketches then come to, to a structural engineer who then has to come up with the actual structural members you know the material the uh, the, the the sizes, right, the configuration, uh, and they will specify that, uh, for example, on building uh, plans and will provide structural calculations. And so then that structural package, together with the architectural and other disciplines, uh, gets uh, submitted to a, a building and safety department, and then once approved, a building permit is issued. At that point, uh, then the... Uh, the, the process continues in, into construction. And so then the structural engineer would be responsible for uh, conducting structural observations as well as addressing any field uh, questions that might arise from the contractor. And so, in general, the, you can kind of imagine uh, the architect as being sort of the person who, uh, if you consider a building to be like an individual person, the architect would basically lay out the arms, the requirement for arms, for legs, and then, you know, the face, and we're going to have some eyes, and, and they, they deal with sort of the makeup and all the pretty stuff, right? And so the structural engineer is addressing more of the the actual core, the structure. Uh, in this case, the bone structure, the spine, right, and all the bones and, and ligaments, everything that sort of ties everything together. And specifically, uh, the, the concerns that a structural engineer will have or that it has to address uh, they're related to the vertical load carrying capacity of the building, so such as the, the self-weight of the members and all, any mechanical equipment, as we discussed previously. Uh, all of that has to be supported structurally. And also the, uh, the matter of wind loads, right, lateral loads. And especially here in Southern California, the aspect of earthquake loads. Mm. And so there's some structural dynamics that also gets involved there. So a student who is interested in pursuing a career in structural engineering would have to uh, first... That go through a series of you know math courses, uh, physics courses, etc. But then also they would have to take some specialized courses in structural analysis, structural steel design, concrete design. Uh, we offer a course here in
0: timber design, etc. So you've just given a lot of different types of jobs for the different types of, of disciplines. Um, how do those jobs um, fit into, say, industry versus government? Where would you typically find Many of those jobs, both in industry and, and government or or where do you usually find those jobs
2: you know i think I think civils of all of varieties can can find spots in both so if you work for government then you're you're usually on the regulatory side where you might be checking the designs of other people's work or maintaining and inspecting the work that is that is already there, so building inspectors uh, may not be structural engineers, but sometimes a lot of times they are and so on the consulting side, um, it, I mean, in the private industry side, yeah. um, the job would be more like, you know, we have a client who has resources that they want to convert and they don't know how to do that. So they have to hire us. We we didn't do a whole lot of uti- pri- public utility work at my consulting firm, but public utilities sometimes have more work than they can handle. And so then they have their engineers that are there Uh, can't do all the work they have, so they hand that off to consultants to do the job. So we end up doing work that is very similar to what local government, like the City of Pomona, would wanna do, but City of Pomona's staff isn't large enough to handle the fluctuations in work, so they ship that off to a consultant. So it's all, like a civil, like we talked about, it's very much all related to whatever the public touches, and so most of that is housed in local government, cities, counties, and states. so when they can't handle that work, they, they kick it out to industry for private. But I don't know, what do you think, Felipe, what does that kind of fit for you?
1: Right, so as far as like the structural engineers are concerned, they can work for uh, the private firms. And even within that, there are small private firms, right? and then there's larger private firms as well. But yes, uh, as Kenneth indicated, a civil engineer can uh, become a city plan checker, a city inspector, for instance. Uh, And so, yes, they can work in different aspects. They can also work, for example, for the Federal Highway Administration. Right. Yeah.
2: That's true. I guess I didn't list federal government jobs. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. You know, as a water dude, uh, there's the National Weather Service that hires a lot of people with advanced degrees in water engineering because they want to know, okay, how do we forecast flooding in these areas? And that's what people who send out those little warnings is uh, there's certain areas across the country where they've hired a bunch of engineers, sometimes scientists as well, to fill those jobs and, and, and handle that, those tasks at the federal level as well.
0: Hmm. So what are the trade-offs between working for uh, a government agency versus working in industry, a private company?
2: You know, I used to answer that question was pay. Yeah. But there's a lot of government agencies who pay really well. Like the, 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 the stereotype is that private industry pays more. Uh, but there's a lot of government agencies that pay really well. So I. It's the, the tempo of the work at your office, maybe. It's the, the environment in which you, which you work. Um, how, would,
0: how would you compare the, the tempo and the environment for those two types of job or workplaces?
2: Well, in, in terms of public infrastructure, for example, at the government level, you, you're looking at long-term planning type stuff. You're looking at 20, 50-year type projects, and you're looking at doing this on a much different level. When you're in private consulting, you have a client who wants stuff now, and they're like, get on it, you know? And so the tempo inside a private consulting firm is like, how fast can we build that next CVS? You know, okay, I got six more behind it. <laughs> you know, so that's, that's the difference. And then it gets even faster if you go into construction, which has, has its own tempo too as well, which a lot of people love. They love the excitement of being there in construction. Be like, okay, I love 80-hour weeks. It's the best, you know? <laughs> <laughs> but they also get compensated more, of course, for time, overtime, and all that stuff. So... But that's usually the, I think the trade-off, I feel like, I don't know, maybe you feel different. Like the trade-off is a tempo. No, I agree.
1: I, I definitely agree. I think that uh, in private, you definitely have a pre- uh, significant pressure to produce jobs quickly and uh, and in volume as well because that's where, uh, you know, you make the money.
0: Mm. So, so maybe more pay, more work? Uh-huh. <laughs> right. More tempo, faster tempo? I mean, that's the industry. thing. Like,
2: it used to be more pay... Because you're getting more pressure to work and the, mm. and the stress is higher. And the same thing with construction, but I've seen a lot of government agencies ramp up their pay scales to attract talent. I was like, well, that's kind of enticing. You know? Yeah.
0: Well, governments also may offer maybe better long term benefits, perhaps, as well. Of
2: course. Yeah. That's true. yeah. Usually have better benefits. That's what a lot of people say a lot more vacation time. They actually take mm. all of the holidays in the calendar year. <laughs> Consultants don't often take. You know, don't know like I never I didn't even know Martin Luther King Day and Veterans Well, Veterans Day we got. What are the other ones? There's a number of holidays that consultants just kinda just blow out the door. Presidents Day, who cares? Did you get Christmas and New Year's off? Christmas and New Year's we got off. Okay. Yeah, Christmas and New Year's and Thanksgiving. Did you have Fourth to labor July on, and Veterans Day. Did you have to labor on Labor Day? <laughs> I think we I think we got that holiday, but generally speaking we we would work that day anyway. Right.
0: So we're, since we're talking about money, uh, how, what are kind of typical salaries? I, I know it's going to greatly depend on what job people get and, again, if they work in industry or versus government, but what kind of salaries do civil engineers typically make once they uh, get, out of, um, get out of college and, and maybe even, uh, say, five, ten years later when they may have a chance to move up in a company? Um, what kind of advancements in pay might they get?
1: So I, I would say that uh, the maybe the average uh, entry level p- uh, position for a civil engineer, the salary would be uh, on the order of like mid 60s. Yeah, Sixty thousand. Yeah, okay. like sixty-five thousand, right? At least that's that would be a figure uh, that would correspond to like here in in Southern Los Angeles, yeah, yeah, in Southern California.
2: Mm-hmm. Yeah, that varies throughout the country, right. of course. Right. Yeah and then you know down the down the road I I don't think it's unreasonable to say that in you know after 15 years of a civil engineer working they'll get promoted and do the thing to to maybe where the salaries in the low six figures you know mm-hmm. you're getting a 100 105 or whatever that's not unreasonable here in Southern California either um but, you know you got to get there you got to earn that place you know So um
0: what can current civil engineering students who might be listening to this this conversation, what can they do to put themselves in a good position to um, not only um, succeed in civil engineering to make it, you know, to get their degree, but also to be hired after college? And and maybe, you know, besides the um, just make sure you study, you go to class, is there anything that they should really pay attention to and, and make sure that they really focus on in order to really succeed
1: Right. One thing that comes to mind uh, is that while there are students here at Cal Poly or anywhere else, uh, that they get involved with uh, the clubs that are available in their respective school. And I think that part of that would be to uh, allow them to network, right? to build a network. And uh, th- they can also develop leadership skills. Right. Uh, one other thing would be to encourage students to participate in internships or summer uh, research experiences, which would give them opportunities to explore uh, matters that are just outside of the, the typical homework assignment right, and course-related
2: activities. Yeah, building on that, I mean, I think one of the things that we always get feedback from our industry advisory board is, is uh, we want students who you know how to use CAD, <laughs> that's like the basic bread and butter skill for them to make money. Yes, yeah,
0: computer-aided design computer-aided software. Computer-aided
2: design software, how yeah. to design any, anything that they do, roadways, structures, retaining walls, water lines, anything. It doesn't matter what, they just want to know students how to do that. But then right after that, right after that comment usually follows with good communication skills. And I think that builds off what Felipe was saying about if you get involved in student clubs and you you try, you know, try your hand at being involved in the leadership of those student clubs, you start learning how to communicate with people, you build networks. I mean, I still have phone of friends that I made in college when I were on group work together. And if I don't know anything about a sewer design thing that I'm having a hard time, I'm calling Anita, the civil city of city of Las Vegas engineer over this because she and I were in a group project back in the day. And so those group work, that communication, those networks you build now are so hugely helpful. Like I used them while I was at work. I'd call these people like, hey, Brent, how do you do the structural design? I don't know how to do this thing. My boss thinks I know. I don't. You know? Um, but that, th- those are the two biggest things I, I always hear. Communication skills and then design skills. And then a lot of employers just assume, hey, look, we're going to train you on so much of the rest. If you just come in ready and willing to learn, a willingness to learn and a willingness to quote-unquote get dirty, you know, don't shy away from new jobs, don't be afraid. Those are, that would put you in a really good spot.
0: Uh, so if anyone goes to the Cal Poly Pomona civil engineering uh, website and they get to see pictures of, of um, Felipe and Kenneth, Uh, They also maybe notice, next to almost everybody's name, is this little um, abbreviation at the end, P-E. So I'm wondering if you can talk a little bit about the importance of, um, you know, getting professionally licensed uh, in civil engineering.
1: Right. So did you know that actually an individual with a civil engineering degree uh, cannot call themselves a civil engineer Mm -hmm. uh, until they actually are licensed? And so... uh, Professional engineering license is a requirement, especially to be in responsible charge of a project. Yeah. So in our field, to be even considered a civil engineer, you have to be registered.
0: What's the process that, that civil engineers are going to have to go through to get that PE at the end of their title?
2: It, uh, it varies by state, but the process is, in short, education plus experience plus examination. and and states kind of vary how much experience and how much education is required and then what kind of examination you do. But the typical is you you get a bachelor's degree plus four years of experience plus 16 hours of examination. So eight when you finish your bachelor's degree, eight hours of examination at the end of your bachelor's degree and then eight hours of examination at the end of your experience requirement. Um, In California, the Bachelor's degree counts as six years toward the experiments requirements, so then you need two years of professional experience to get to, to sit for the exam and get licensed. Actually, I think they just changed the laws that you can take the exam right after graduating, but then you still have to wait two years before you're allowed to apply for the license and get the license. So, yeah, it's, uh, you need more than education hmm. to get a, become a professional engineer.
0: So how important is going to grad school for civil engineers nowadays? And um, what kind of jobs might require students to go back for, say, at least a master's degree?
1: Well, I think it's, it's sort of common knowledge nowadays to think of a structural engineer requiring a master's. Now there's a lot of companies out there who will not uh, consider hiring an individual Without a master's to perform structural engineering calculations, and the idea is that students would have to go back to college and learn uh, some advanced topics, uh, advanced structural analysis techniques, maybe additional structural dynamics courses, uh, you know, civil uh, design related to uh, you know building construction things like that. And so, uh, that's not to say that there aren't companies out there who won't hire somebody in structural engineering without a master's, but uh, its general consensus is that some of the bigger, more reputable companies will require at least a master's. Mm-hmm.
2: Yeah, and I, I, think, I think most companies will take in somebody with a bachelor's degree, but sooner or later, um, structural engineering, geotechnical engineering, environmental engineering, those are the three that come to mind first That that you end up having to get a master's degree and that's largely due to because a bachelor's of civil has to has to be pretty broad to be accredited and so but geotech has a lot of advanced coursework that that they just never do at the undergraduate level structural engineering has a lot of advanced coursework we don't do and environmental engineering as well so there's just no room inside the bachelor's degree for that so uh, sometimes you can get that training on the job but a lot of companies set it into their pay scale like hey you know what if you want to get promoted Let's, let's do this. Mm-hmm. And, and so in the end, a lot of people just do it, get master's degrees uh, at least. The government, working for the government, that's like a key way to get a better pay. As, so you'll see in federal government employ, employment, most of them have master's degrees and even PhDs. They employ a lot of the PhDs who aren't sitting in you know, academic facilities like us. If I wasn't here, the next easiest step for me would be to go work for the National Weather Service or the National Oceanic Atmospheric Administration, you know, because they just hire lots of people with PhDs. Mm. Do you typically find many PhDs in industry? In my field in water resource engineering, no. Almost none. Um, a lot of people have master's degrees. And they, when it comes to water, there are so many political battles over it. That a master's degree in public administration or an MBA, because water, some a lot of water companies have, you know, they'll get an MBA in addition to people who have masters in civil. So those three, a lot of, they, there's a lot of my colleagues who all have probably an equal distribution of masters in public administration, business administration, as well as civil. Mm. Um, so I'll
0: be, you know, I want to say thank you once again for being here, and I want to be very mindful of your time. Uh, the last question I had for you is have you guys noticed any kind of um, trends in civil engineering that that have come up in the last decade or two that you see the the field moving toward
2: well I can only say in my area which is the 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 water environmental side about up until about the 1990s 80s 1980s when we built stuff all we cared about is Getting water away from us and get the waste away from us as fast as we can, and we did not think about the negative impacts on the environment. And so, for the last last since the nineties, uh, regulations have been changing. They've been getting more. They've been getting tighter. They've been getting more stringent. Like if you build something, not only you have to demonstrate that you're, you're that it's safe for to be inhabited, but that you're not negatively impacting the environment. And that's created a whole new layer of type of analysis that we do now that um, really wasn't pushed on me even as an undergraduate student from 90s to early 2000s. But now it's becoming much, much more important that people know these things like, how do we impact the world around us? And that's becoming a bigger bigger challenge for us as civil engineers.
1: Right. So that could include, for example, the requirement to utilize uh, or reuse some materials, right? if you're recycling. right, recycling some materials such as asphalts, right, yeah. uh, concrete, things like that, and also making buildings more energy efficient, right. Uh, so yes, I agree that that's sort of the trend to be more mindful of our our carbon footprint.
2: I suppose the key word is sustainable. Sustainable. Sustainability, mm-hmm. right. Everybody's that's talking true. about this now as like, and then people are actually creating separate programs that are just right. sustainability engineering. I don't. I'm not in favor of that myself because. Every engineer really should see themselves as like, so how do I make what I'm doing sustainable? Or what, I'm, what am I doing that is not sustainable? It should be the questions we should all be asking ourselves with every project.
0: Mm. All right. Well, Kenneth, Felipe, thank you very much. I learned a lot about civil engineering today. And uh, hopefully anyone listening, whether they high school students or even current civil engineering students, they'll also have learned something new.
2: That's thank it's you a very pleasure. Much. Thank you. Yeah, thanks, Paul.
0: I would like to again thank Dr. Kenneth Lamb and Dr. Felipe Perez for spending some time with me to share their experiences in the field of civil engineering. I also would like to thank Cesar Marino for helping record and edit this episode, as well as Cal Poly Pomona for providing funding for this podcast pilot project. If you enjoyed this episode, you can support it by leaving comments wherever you heard the podcast and by letting friends and family know about the podcast. Goodbye for now.